we are officially recording, we should at least introduce the idea of what is going on here uh, in in this moment. Right. So basically, if you end up watching this, uh, my name's Sean, and this is my friend Steve, and we have been friends for about I don't know, probably eighteen years now, seventeen oh, years, something of that nature. And, and we uh, we've both played music growing up. I play guitar, he plays piano. We have. For most of our life, had very strong and passionate, awesome conversations about music and share music back and forth. And so during quarantine, we had a, our own video chat one night and we ended up talking about music for like three or four hours, which is very common for us. So uh, we decided we're going to try and do a little web series or podcast or webcast about uh, our experiences with music and what we're listening to. And also uh, give each other homework assignments of things that, that we listen to. And we're going to try and kick it off each week with what we listen to that day and then kind of come back into uh, what we did with our homework assignments and what we thought of them. So, uh, yeah, uh, this is this is that show. <laughs> There's a, a working title. <laughs> Two guys that like music or off key. So we'll see where this goes from here. Let's just, but, uh, let's yeah. just change the, the name of the show every week. We could do that, too. Yeah. Uh, so why not? Or we could call it "What did you listen to today?" <laughs> Maybe something. That's 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 today's episode. So what did so, you listen to today? Me. Um. So I actually dug into Kings of Leon, that Mechanical Bull album you were talking about. Oh, nice. Okay. So I listened to that a little bit the other day. I did not realize that that fucking "Use Somebody" song was like twelve years old. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's very yeah. old. That came out. We were like probably juniors in college, or it actually was probably recorded like maybe a year and a half before that. Yeah. So I think it was 2008 was like the release date on it. And yeah. I remember you had mentioned Mechanical Bull because it was like the lesser known of them. Because I don't think they really like like I've recognized their songs and I've never actually really gotten into them. Um, yeah. Like, there's something, it, I think that Sex on Fire was, like, the one thing that, like, this is what I know of them, and that song always just infuriated me, because, like, I don't know why. It, this song doesn't make because sense. It's played nine bajillion times for, like, almost two years straight. Yeah, and, like... <laughs> Great song. It's funny, because if you listen to, I can't remember the brothers' names, um, but the lead singer talks about how much he hates it. He hates that song. Oh, does and, he? Yeah, he hates it. He, he hates it. And he, he swears that, like, if he wanted to write another one again, like, yeah. that caliber, he goes, I could do it. Like, he's <laughs> that confident in himself. Like, I've seen him say that in interviews. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't want to write another Sex is on Fire. So I have to play it every single night. But, like, you know, I got into him because our buddy Ed uh, went through a breakup and had tickets to a show and he took me instead of the person he broke up with. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I started trying to listen to as much as, as I could. And I knew, like, I knew some of their songs, you know, and I had a, yeah. another friend that was into them. Um, so I had enjoyed some of the things that I heard. Um, and we went and saw them. And it was one of the best live performances still to this day that I've ever seen. Like, they were awesome. Um, you both say great. that. Huh? And like, I said, you guys both say that. Like, they, it, was, it was shockingly good. Like, I did not 
expect to see the caliber of performance that I saw mm. in like both like just the energy, but also the sound quality that they put out when they played live. Um, Where'd you see him at? I've only seen him once. We saw him at uh, whatever it is now, Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, formerly Tweet. the Twitter, yeah. Yeah, formerly, oh, what is it? It was like World Music Theater or something like that. Yeah. Um, Literally but, uh, changes every year. Maybe, you know, it's been so long. I wanted to see them again, and I still haven't. Excuse me. That, um, you know, maybe I was wrong about their performance, but I don't think I was. Uh, and then that really kind of set the gears in motion for me to, like, really start to dive into their catalog uh completely and i don't know man there's some they like on every album they have like four songs that like really really do it for me yeah and i wouldn't say that every album is awesome but there's definitely songs from them like you can really see like the level uh i feel like the songwriting talent that they have there's a showtime documentary about them and their like upbringing and like how crazy their upbringing was they grew up as like their father i think was a pastor and was like a traveling, like very Southern deep South, like Baptist minister, like true detective type shit. Um, and that's like, that's how they grew up and yeah. their upbringing was crazy. And they basically like, they told their cousin, like you're joining our band, like, and they basically drove him to where they, you know, they were living at the time and, and said, you're living here. And they like, it's crazy. I want to watch the documentary. I still haven't watched it, but it's really, it's, it's really, really interesting. Like they came from, they came from like nothing, like the dirtiest, you know, the, like the poorest of the poor, basically. Good backwater. Yeah, for real. Like shit in an outhouse type stuff, like that type of thing. Like just looking at this right now, they originated in 1999. Yeah. For 21 years. And you know, I mean, that's the thing, like, I think people forget about is when you hear like you hear a band getting popular and it's like just start, you know, or maybe they did. And if they did, they're extremely lucky. But like, yeah, if you've gotten radio airplay, you've probably been at it for a while. Like you weren't, oh, yeah. You know, like, like you, you didn't just show up and like get to that point. Unless some record label producer was like, saw you in a crowd and was like, that's the face. Yeah. That's the new guy. Good to get him. And they put you with like a backing band and they have like yeah. these songs they know will be like super famous. But that's, it's, that's wild. I didn't even know that they, they formed in 99. I knew that like they formed in, or I thought they had formed in like the early 2000s. And I know yeah. they started to gain like some sort of following in like 06, 07 basically with, uh, what was it? Molly Somebody? Oh. Uh, the album or that's the song that was like one of their, their first singles i think oh uh, was it yeah i mean they're a band i never really got into but like i didn't know if that wave crested in 2008 and then like i mean to be honest like i don't know what sort of stadium they could fill right now i don't know if they're still at that height they of the population the last album they came out with they played the uc I don't know if they filled it or not because it's like twenty-two thousand <laughs> people yeah but clearly i have that's what's funny to me is when like somebody will mention and this is why i think we need to like push each other to start listening to new music because <laughs> like somebody will be talking about some new artist 
And I'll be like, who is that? And then they'll be like, check them out. And I'll go on Spotify and they've literally got like 900 million listens. So it's like <laughs> everyone in this world has listened to them three times, but me. Like, yeah. like okay, good. I feel like you know, when we were still open at Deuces and Diamonds and, and there'd be songs playing on like Friday night and like all my coworkers are like, I love this song. And it's like some ridiculous, you know, or I shouldn't say ridiculous, but it's some rap song or some hip hop song or some pop song that I'm not familiar with. And they'd be like, you don't know this song? And I'd literally look at them and be like, never heard this song in my life. Never. Yeah. They're like, how's that possible? Uh, I don't know. Cause I'm, I'm an old fart now. I guess. <laughs> just still listen to it, like late 2000s punk music. Yeah, absolutely. Like, It'll never uh, die. I'm wearing an Alkaline Trio shirt right now. <laughs> yeah, like, it's I one listened of the to that three... today, too. I listened, I listened to Alkaline Trio today while I was skateboarding outside. Which album? Um, Have you listened to their new stuff? I I actually saw them the night after, the night of the Cody Parkey missed field goal when the Bears lost the playoff game. Oh, that was, wasn't that when you saw them perform... It was a full album show, wasn't it? No, 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 no. Um, they did four nights, and they did four nights in a row at the Metro. Um, let's go back to this in a second. I want to know what your thoughts were on Mechanical Bull or what you listened to from Mechanical Bull. Um, again, it was something like I was working, like kind of putting stuff out, and there was a couple tracks on there that like I recognized like vaguely like i think i've heard this on xrt or you know some radio station or something but um they're just a band that like they've never done it for me they've never wowed me i feel like the singer like again like sex on fire is like for some reason just bugs the hell out of me and like i feel like they like, because I've heard the thing before where he, like, he hates that song. Uh-huh. I just assume that he's just sitting there in a room, like, just going to make another rock song. And I don't give a shit. Fuck these people. <laughs> like, and, like, I just don't think he cares. I think he's just, like, cranking out these, like, like, it feels a little generic to me. Like, it's radio ready. Rock. Okay. Um, and I haven't seen him, and they've never, like, blown me away. Okay. <laughs> like, Unfortunately, I hate it because, like, I didn't really give full attention to, like, listening to, like, the technicality or anything, like, special about the music because I was, like, yeah. answering calls and doing stuff. Yeah. Um, well, and I will say this. I, I think that's part of the, the thing I like about the music, which is also why I think you would like it. Yeah. Not anything complicated. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. It's, their music, as far as from a guitar perspective, to my knowledge, is relatively simple, um, but they create a good tone and sound, I feel like. Um, and, you know, if you're looking for less of the Radio Ready stuff, like if you go back and listen to the, like the first album, um, which I can't remember the name of right now. Uh, let me, um, I want to say it's not, it's Aha Shake Heartbreak, which came out in 2004. Um, that has like Molly's Chambers on it and whatnot. If you go back and listen to that album, you can tell it is very like 
rough, like choppy, like Southern kind of rock blues. Uh, uh, like you can definitely hear like their Southern influence. I feel like you can hear it a lot, but um, that to me, it was so rough when I first heard it. I actually didn't see the appeal that much. Yeah. Like I was listening to it and I was like, yeah, I don't know. This doesn't necessarily do it for me. Um, but then like, you know, I hear songs like um, Back Down South, which is a song that in terms of like, I know you love, you know, Americana singer songwriter stuff. If you went and listened to Back Down South now, I think that one would, would hit pretty good. I think you'd really enjoy that one. That's one of my, one of my favorite songs of theirs. That song always puts me in a good mood. Um, Back Down South. But yeah, it's called Back Down South. I think you'd really enjoy that song. Um, it has like a slide guitar melody on one string. It's really simple. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good song. I'm surprised it didn't get more radio play. I definitely think it's something that basically um, a lot of people who enjoy somebody who really enjoys like seventies classic rock, but also, in, and then other people that really enjoy like country music. It's, it kind of has, it has, it has a very much like a country vibe, but not like full on like pop country, like today's stuff. Like a Zach Brown sort of like. Uh, no, Zach Brown, I associate and I say this, I guess kind of unfamiliarly because I don't know Zach Brown's music that well. But I associate yeah. Zach with more of a, like, kind of uh, outlaw country, almost metal. And I know Zach is a metal fan, or like Metallica fan, isn't he? Um, so actually, I, he's sort of this guy I've always been, like, really interested to dig into. Because obviously he came out. I've seen some interview stuff with him at times, and he really intrigues me. And I think he's in one of the Food Fighters documentaries or uh, – the one they did on HBO, but go on, I apologize. Oh, Sonic Highways, or yeah, I think he, yeah. I think they did something with him, didn't they? I think so. Yeah, and like, and it, like that's one that I saw, and I was like, this guy's cooler than I thought. I like him a lot. Well, because he came out with that chicken fried song, and all it was just like, I don't know, like there wasn't probably much... playing that song too. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. It was like, but, I mean, but we shouldn't be speaking for Zach Brown, I guess, on the show. But. It... <laughs> Um, episodes from now, Steve, Zach Brown will be on the show and we can ask him ourselves. And our, our guest today is Zach Brown on the, uh, on the Zach Brown show because we've changed the name today. <laughs> uh, but no, I think with uh, – because like, I'll see him and he like kind of pops up in these like circles of bands of like, I don't know, like jam bands or whatever. But like he's a bit more – I think their show is much more intriguing than just like a – like I literally only know that chicken fried song. So, um, well, and but, I know when he played Wrigley, that's one thing that everybody talked about was Zach Brown's show is more than just a country show. Mm -hmm. And I had heard the same thing about Brad Paisley. Uh, uh, and I will say this: I never thought that their first episode would be diving into two different country artists. Um, <laughs> but, but I saw Brad. Paisley. I took my ex-girlfriend to a Brad Paisley show and I had heard good things about him. And I'll tell you, man, that dude can shred. He brought out the electric and like, granted, yeah. it was just like, it was rock shredding. 
but that dude can that dude can can play. He can play. Yeah. It was awesome. Like there were, you know, the country stuff. I was like, yeah, 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 okay. But he brought out the electric on a couple of those songs, and he was like, he was throwing down some face melters. It was sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like uh, there was that Game of Thrones guitar like thing, and it had the dude from Anthrax, it had Tom Morello from Rage Against Machine. Um, fuck, I don't know, a couple other people, but it was like seven very famous guitarists and they all started playing the game of thrones theme like the and then all of a sudden brad paisley just walks in and you got all these like heavy metal dudes and then this country singer and did he just rip it up well yeah it was like each one basically took like the main melody like you obviously i know you don't watch game of thrones but you yeah but i can the- hear the song in my head i watched the first like three seasons and then i gave up on the show yeah it was um i guess it's kind of like the guitar remix is what you would call it yeah if you just youtube game of thrones guitar um it should come up but there's like i don't know like six or seven guitarists that like come and they like all do their own renditions of Mm -hmm. like the game of thrones song Da-da-da, um, da-da-da, 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 right? That's, that's yeah, fun. but like obviously Tom Morello does a yeah. put some pick scrapes in there. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, um, but Brad Paisley was on there and like really just kind of like, you know, you see all these dudes and it was just really kind of out there that he was the one to like kind of shred it up in that room, but. Dude. Like I said, when I saw him, I was like, wow, okay. Like, you were worth the price of admission, despite me not really being a fan of yours yeah. at all. So that was cool. And then Peyton Manning came out and did a drum solo. That would have been sweet. (laughs) That would have been awesome. Um, But, yeah, so uh, you listen to Mechanical Bull a little bit. What else did you listen to today? Anything? Um, so actually it was introduced Stephen Kellogg did a that free show today um which it didn't hit as like well as the one I saw like before mm. I don't know if it was because it was the afternoon because I was working and like listening um but he has like a guest on each show and like he interviewed uh Gregory Allen Isaac Isaacoff Isaacoff I know the name yeah but he did this song it's called like Sam Luis um, but I just like checked it out. It was like the top song on his, uh, on his Spotify. And it was like, it's not like a happy song, but it was like a pretty deep, like good song. Um, called San Louise. Yeah. I think that was the one. Okay. But so that was something else I listened to. Um, I gave the new car seat headrest album, another listen, um, did you mention that to me the other day? I did. I think you we were on the phone. I think that's why. I was like, why do I know that name? Yeah. So what, I mean, are I, what are they? What are they? Yeah. What are, like, what are they about? What is car seat headrest? Besides um, car seat headrest in my car. It's, I think it is, he started on like Bandcamp. Um, or something like online, like posting songs and stuff. And he got really famous with, uh, I think it was Twin Fantasy. Uh, 
don't know if it was about like a breakup or something, but it was just like that song or that album, I think kind of put him on the map. And then he put out teens of denial, which was like in 2017 or 18 was like a lot of best like year end lists. So I listened to that and it was like, I don't know, I think it's like 14 songs, but each song is like, has so many different parts to it. And it's like, you get so much crammed into each song. Um, and just like very unique in the way that he does things where like, there's a song bodies, which is like super catchy and like very dancey. Um, but like, <laughs> there's this part in the song where he goes, is it the chorus yet? No, it's just the bridge. It's like, it's to build to the chorus so that it's more rewarding when you get there. And it's like the spoken word part, but it's so obscure, like really weird. So he's lyrically, lyrically explaining to you what part of the song he's he's composing or that is being Yeah, but it's like, there's there's a level of humor to his, his stuff. Obviously, if you're saying that, no, this is not the chorus, this is the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's obviously a level of humor to it. But like, I would say if you ever want to like really pick yourself up, like listen to the song Bodies. And it's and like it's one of those things where it's spelled B-O-D-Y-S. Like I don't know why. It's just like that bugs it doesn't bug me, but I think it's kind of funny every time I read it because I want to say it's B-O-D-I-E-S, but um so like that's something that'll like really pick up your mood if you're like trying to get ready in the morning or something, but um yeah, he put out a new album. I can't remember the name of it. Um, it was a little different. It, it's called Making a Door Less Open. Um, but there were a couple songs on there, like one song called Martin I liked, and then the other one was uh, Hollywood. It's just a line in it where somebody goes, Hollywood makes me want to puke. And it's just like explaining going down the street in Hollywood, like all just like the fake bullshit that you see. Um, But like the rest of it wasn't like as good as the last two albums. Um, So, but yeah, I listened to that and then. That's okay. That happens. Not every album can be a banger. Yeah. (laughs) So it was. Uh Oh, you froze. I froze on me. Sounds like a you problem. Uh, So what'd you listen to? What did I listen to? Well, today I listened to some. Uh, today I listened to some some Lumineers stuff. I went back and listened to the second album because I haven't listened to it in a while, and I kind of listened to it yesterday. Is that the Ophelia one? Yeah, uh, and it has "Sleep on the Floor" on it, which I was playing on guitar because it's a good song and I like it a lot. Um, "Sleep on the Floor" I think is the first track on the album, but. That band does more with less than anybody since Tom Petty. I've said that probably to you before. I know I've said it to my brother before, but like in terms of just simple song structure and not much else going on for the most part. Not that Tom Petty had a little more going on, obviously, but uh, they do the amount of hit songs that they've pumped out with basically the same four chords and not a whole lot going on in the background is exceptionally impressive. Oh, Uh, it's awesome. It's it's awesome. Um, it's it's stupefying to be that good at you know and keep the same thing going. But it's crazy. Um, so listen to that. 
I listened to a fish set from. Uh, did you listen know. to dinner and movie this week? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, man, that seems so long ago. Uh, <laughs> All two days ago. <laughs> Fucking quarantine. Uh, I listened to a fish set from like 96 today, I think it was. Uh, and uh, had some good stuff in there. Uh, you know, they're, they're mid, they're, they're middle year stuff. Like uh, their 96 and 97 shows are considered like their best years. Uh, I know like if you're a dead fan, you know, most people consider, I think like 77, I guess, like the dead's best year. Yeah. Uh, but like their style of music, the, the way they played back then, I felt like was much more, uh, I don't know, I guess it, aggressive is the term I would use, even though it's, it's, it might not be the exact right term, but uh, there was a lot more going on usually in their jams necessarily. I, or maybe not. In my opinion, it just sounds like there's more fierceness to the playing from Trey um, and it's kind of more, I feel like, all over. Uh, yeah. But it, it's definitely, you can definitely hear the difference in how the band has, you know, changed over the years. When you listen to those 96, 97, 98 sets and stuff like that to the stuff you hear now. But I think most Fish fans will tell you they enjoy the new stuff a lot, even if they enjoy the older stuff more. Mm. But... Uh, you know, some people always say, oh, what's the best fish show? And it's like the one I'm going to next is yeah. the best fish show. Well, like, because <laughs> I know what you're going to see. And I mean, just of what I know of fish, and like, I still like, I've been listening to him for a while now, and I still feel like I just don't know. I still like, feel that way. I've been listening to them a little bit longer than you have and diving into their music harder than you have. And I, I still feel that way. Yeah. Just like, I just scratched the surface on everything they do. I think like in the nineties, like, cause I think it was really interesting. I think it was last week or the week before on the dinner and a movie set. Um, they had the one from like, I think it was 1997. Yeah. And that was the one where like Le Leroy Moore, the saxophone player from Dave Matthews before he passed away. Um, uh -huh. like he came out on stage and it was just like first of all that kind of dates it in itself um but like they would do a lot of goofy things and i think they were much more willing to like get strange and like really just adventure with their songs maybe um but like in the showmanship i think was a little different and they had like a bit more of a higher energy but i think it was a little sloppier yeah, no, I mean, definitely there was, uh, well, so it was sloppier. I would say it's sloppier in the sense of they weren't afraid to kind of drive off the cliff a little more. Well, yeah, it's like now they know, now they know that comfort zone. They could stay in there and play for three hours and like go yeah. home. And there's times, you know, and that's the fun part is when you get those, when you get a show nowadays um, that has more of that, like we're kind of driving off the cliff and going to see where it goes. And it, it feels like from the older shows I've watched that that was more commonplace back then for the whole show to be like that. Whereas like now it's maybe like you might get one or two songs in a night or three songs in a night that have that feeling of like, 
we're just going to take it to a whole nother level and see what happens. And if we land, we land. If we don't, we don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't really get to watch that episode of dinner and a movie in detail, which was kind of disappointing because I wish I did. Well, I think it was like, go ahead. I was going to say, I think they started it. Um, like the first four tracks on there, I think they played like dirt. They played ghost. Um, Piper. Mm-hmm. Um, and one other song, but like Trey stops and he's like, yeah, you know, it's good to be back in North America. He's like, those uh, first four songs we played, you've never heard before. It's just like weird to be like, oh, that was the first time they ever played them like four people before. Uh, um, they played them because I think, what year was that from? Was that from 98? Seven, I think. Okay, so they had just gotten there. So um, they went on like a small club, like European tour. If you've mm-hmm. never seen it, um, I had only seen it a couple of years ago. I finally watched it. It's called Bittersweet Motel. Um, I've seen part of it because I remember you told me about it. And it was something on, it's like on YouTube, I think. Yeah, you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. The craziest shit about it is the guy that just, because didn't Todd Phillips just win an Oscar for Best Director? I think for Joker. Yeah. So the yeah. guy that did Joker, who also wrote Old School, yeah, was the director of Bittersweet Motel. Just this docky so you, you know, it's not, you know, you can't, you can't be awesome at everything when it comes to your craft. But apparently, Todd Phillips can't. <laughs> he did better yeah, all over the board. He did like The Hangover, Old School, all these comedies, and then you do The Joker. Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, but Bittersweet Motel, they chronicle this like this small club, like European tour they did, and that's where they played. I think a lot of those songs first, okay. but they weren't recorded on an album yet, I think is what happened. But I was listening to one of their albums the other day. I was going through it, um, which has Ocelot on it, which is one of the first songs that really got me into fish. Um, but the album's called, uh, what is it? It's called joy. Uh, and I think yeah. if you haven't listened to that album, I think that that's an album that you really uh, like the whole way through. Like, not that you don't like their albums or anything like that, but I think that's one that I would, I would, I would say if I was getting somebody into fish just to get them started, yeah, I would direct them probably towards that in the sense of uh, well, I that, a lot of openness and, and comfort for people to get into it. Like in terms of stylistically, the way the, the, the songs on it are yeah. more available to, you know, or open to the general public. Well, because I know, like, Joy itself um, is a very, like, you know, pretty simple song. And then, yeah, I love that song. That's a great song. Um, but, and that's the thing is, like, you can have a simple song and still have, like, profound impact. Yeah. Without, without losing your integrity. Like, still, like, you just make a simple song and have it be a good song. Because um, that was the same. It starts with backwards down the number line. Yeah. And I remember you pointing that out to me, like, at this point like probably years ago um but and like i remember you talking about that song and i had never heard it and then i was listening to like a live set when i was like working one day and that song came on and i just heard the chorus about backwards down the number line i was like oh this is what that song was and immediately you know replayed that part of the show and then um you know found the studio recording and Megan and I were actually just driving to my parents, like, 
uh, a week ago and I turned it on. It was just like a windows down kind of day and it was just like put, put us both in a good mood. I yeah, guess you could say. it's an enjoyable, simple song. And it's funny because there's people that like love to hate it. And it's like, dude, you know, not every song is going to be a 23 minute jam. <laughs> well, so, so, all right, maybe that's a subject to talk about is like singles. Like, what is it about singles that is different than like deep tracks? Like, I mean, we were talking about Kings of Leon earlier and just how like I, all I can think of is like You Somebody and Sex on Fire. But meanwhile, you have this band that continues to put out music for like a long time. And like the deep tracks, like, I don't know where I'm really going with this, but other than like what makes a song a single versus the other 12 tracks on the album? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's for the A&R people to decide, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> no, but what it stands out to me more so is like, obviously hook and melody and, you know, does it follow basic what people generally speaking are used to in pop music, which is like, you know, basic four, four, time signature and then does it have like a memorable hook or melody that sticks mm -hmm. in your head i think those are the first things you look for when you yeah. think of a single um, yeah you know and is the song generally speaking is the song less than like four minutes long <laughs> yeah it there's like a formula for the perfect pop song it's like three minutes and 19 seconds long it's like one verse, one chorus, one verse, one chorus, a bridge, and a chorus, and then yeah, basically, in my um, mind, it's always it's always verse one, uh, verse two, pre-chorus, chorus, verse three, bridge, pre-chorus, chorus. I think, and then that was. I think that's it. I think that's how I think of it in my head. But I, I'm pretty sure that's rather form you know, formulaically accurate in terms of like song structure is. There's usually like three verses. There's a pre-chorus, a chorus, and a bridge. Yeah, and yeah. like, I don't know, but it, it's just got to be something about the brain that like it. It's a more universally accepted like feeling. Well, I think obviously, you know, from uh, like most from young ages, like we hear kids' songs or whatever. They're simple, you know, yeah. like. And I think your brain sticks to that. A, B, C, D, chorus. <laughs> your brain sticks to that in your head. So I think that's why. But I don't know. I mean, uh, that's what I would say about it, like when it comes to singles and stuff. But, you know, as far as like, you know, deep cuts or other things, what did I, I the, you told me to listen to check. If you're watching this, which if you are cool, if not, that's fine too. Uh, <laughs> But Steve and I had a conversation a couple of weeks back and he had mentioned Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties, uh, which Aaron West is from what band? Uh, the Wonder Years. The Wonder so, Years, okay. So, but he wrote this album. I, I mean, I went and listened to it. It was two albums, right? It's We Don't Have Each Other and then Routine Maintenance. Yeah, and then like three singles in between. I don't know if I, I don't know if I caught the three singles in between, but. I don't even know them that well, so. Um, we don't have each other. I really enjoyed. Um, I went back and listened to some of we don't have each other today in preparation for this, but I didn't get through everything again. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. And but you can talk a little bit more about uh, kind of 
what it is. Because it's, it's so, what he like. It's a concept album, correct? It's a concept album, but I think he basically. So it was like everything in the album is like he wrote a journal, like while on tour or whatever, um, from the perspective of this guy, and his intent was like, this guy. Aaron West has the worst year of his life. Like, what are all the things that can go wrong? <laughs> so it's like he gets a divorce, like lose a baby, his dad passes away, like all these like really horrific, like, you know, things that like are really upsetting. Did so he whole- say at all, like in your research or what you know about the album, did he say if it's based off anybody or is it based off of meetings multiple people? No, I think because talk about that or no. Um, well, what I know about uh, Dan Campbell is the singer of the Wonder Years, and um, if you're not familiar with the Wonder Years stuff, they took pop punk, which is a genre that is often just kind of brushed aside as like, you know, guys singing about girls or whatever, you know, very kind of childish, yep. whiny stuff. And he, which all music is emotional, so that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, and like the thing about him is that he was able to paint sort of this landscape with like his words, you know, a lot of imagery of um, like college parties, like late night diners. Yeah. Basically the suburbs in general um, chronicling his life of like the upsides was about him getting ready to graduate college. Cause he hated being at college. Um and like just didn't fit in and then the next album is like he graduates college it's him returning to his parents like in the suburbs and then the album after is just sort of like a conclusion of like where do we go from here like growing up kind of thing um but that was the greatest generation and that whole trilogy is like you know it's you know looking back at it now it seems a little childish of like the things but like at the time it was like song for song like i was growing up with each album yeah if if you go and listen to the narration of your life yeah and um so when the song uh when the greatest generation came out there's a song called passing through a screen door and there's a part in there and it's like what did we just talk about the the bridge the chorus the end pre-chorus um yeah but, and the line is like, Jesus Christ, I'm 26. All the people I graduated with all have kids, all have wives, all have people to go to sleep with at night. And I was 26 at that time and single. And like, I was just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with my life. So it was like, it's very, like, I don't know. It just was on that same wavelength of where I was. Yeah. And the same the same year that like Suburbia came out, I had moved back home with my parents, like, and came out swinging. The first line is "moved all my shit into my parents' basement." And that's <laughs> and, the like, song. I so I was just like, yeah. So it was one of those things where like it was really at that same level I was at. So Aaron West was a chance for him to stop writing about himself and just like do a character study, because he went to school I think for English, like, uh like literature, like to be a, to be a writer or a teacher. Um, so, I mean, he just gets really deep. He like created this journal of this guy, like from his perspective of, 
is the lead singer of the Wonder Years and the lead singer of Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties. Is that correct? Yeah. And and he during live shows puts on the persona of him as Aaron West. You know what's really funny is like I guess it's not that funny. It's but he would probably appreciate the, the comment. When you described it to me, all I could think about was what's the guy's name in uh, Death of a Salesman, the play. I think it's like Biff Loman, but it's like the saddest. It's like Death of a Salesman is just like the saddest existence. <laughs> like, I... if I remember it correctly from like high school English, Death of a Salesman is like is like what Aaron West is describing. It's like okay. the existence for one man that could possibly happen in a short amount of time. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. But like, that's what it reminded me of. I'll have to Google it later and look at it, but uh, that's what yeah. it But, so. um, and I know, and hopefully, spoiler alert, if anybody's listening. Um, so like the thing that I know, like I was talking to you about, like listening to the whole story arc. Yeah. And there's supposedly probably going to be a third album coming, but like, so if you listen to like the trajectory of like that first album is like, the first song he's like just breaks up with his wife or girlfriend or whatever. Um, the second song grapefruit is about the, the paint color of the room they chose for the baby that they were supposed to have. I do remember that like lyrical content a little bit. Yeah. And then like, um, there's a song about him like going to see his mom and, um, about like talking about like the old Catholic saints and how each one has like, you know, a specific whatever, um, so that he could get his dad's old car because his dad like passed away or whatever and because he's like trying to get out of town to get away from everything and then like um, he's basically like, run away from all his problems and then like the second one he's kind of finding that like sort of like redeeming himself storyline where like he gets a job just like painting you know shit on the piers in Jersey um, he starts his own band. He gets like these roommates, um, and then like the the one out the song I was talking to you about, where he's teaching his nephew um, how to play the organ, and he has that like that one moment. It's like the second to last track. Is it the Winter Coat song? Yes. Okay, I listened to that song. I don't remember it specifically. Like I said, I should have gone back uh, earlier today and listened to more of it, but. So, like, in the storyline, again, spoiler alert, um, in the storyline, um, so he's finally kind of got all of his shit together. He starts a band, he's happy, he's on the road, he's playing music, and then um, I think there's a camera, it's something about billboards. Um, the song title is about billboards or whatever. But he gets a call from his sister that his brother-in-law passed away and he's got to go home to like help his sister. And then so the song Winter Coats is his sister's dealing with like this funeral and everything. And then he goes into the church at night and he's playing on the organ. And then his nephew is like hanging out in the pews and he didn't realize he was there. So he has this like moment where he's like helping teach like the kid, like how to play the organ. And it's just like this simple, like, very realistic and really deeply described moment um, that the first time I heard it, I was just like kind of choked up. And when music can do that, it's just like, yeah, awesome, holy shit. And yeah, then like, great. 
Um, so like the last song kind of like brings it off full circle where like he finds his purpose in like being there for his nephew. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I don't know. I just, I, I thought like as far as an actual story for a concept album. Yeah. Concept, guess- yeah. Cause concept albums can sometimes be so like out there in their storytelling uh-huh. <laughs> that like, was it uh the who the pinball wizard? Um, or Tommy? Am yeah. I thinking of Tommy? Uh, that or Quadrophenia, I don't know. Yeah, but they're just like, sometimes you get these concept albums and the stories in them are so like out there and obscure that you can't connect to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you ever hear the album? It's by a band called Fucked Up. No. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I but love our conversations about yeah. <laughs> But it's called David Comes to Life. And the the story, I had to like go and read it. Because it's about where's, this. Where did you hear about this? It was like, I think in 2012 or something, it was like on a lot of best year end lists. Really? <laughs> the premise the premise of the album is like this guy is a character in a in a uh, in a story that this guy is writing. And that he like falls in love with this girl and they like, he works in a light bulb factory and they blow up the, the factory, but his girlfriend dies. And then he finds out he's a character in the story. And then he goes after the author. <laughs> like It's almost like um, that Will Ferrell movie, which I also, I really enjoyed. Um, oh, um, is that stranger than fiction. Yes. I watched it like nine months ago. And I just, I had you seen it before. No, I I had seen it when it first came out, and I was like, "Why isn't this Ricky Bobby?" Like, I don't get this. <laughs> See, I always really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really genius idea, like concept-wise. Like, you have this person writing this story, and it's, you know, that's the the when you study movies, they talk about they refer to it as like the suspension of disbelief. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, where you basically just accept what is going on because you are watching a movie. Yeah. So, you know, like you accept the fact that this person can hear the the person writing the story about their life, <laughs> like the wrecking ball, like destroys his apartment. So it's kind of like that. This album, yeah. the band's called Fucked Up. David comes to life. Yeah. Uh, so that's on my list of things to listen to now. Um, and then uh, uh, what we weren't recording earlier, you had mentioned trip, some trip hop stuff. Well, but anyways. I wanted to ask you, I'd sent you that album uh, from, uh, did you listen to it anymore? Moontooth, which was, uh, I had Googled the top 50 albums of 2019 from Rolling Stone. And that was number 50. And they had mentioned a couple of stylistically things, things that were going on in the album. So I was like, screw it. I'll just put it on. So I put it on when I was in my car. Excuse me. And it was rather impressive. Like the guitar parts, it was kind of, Progressive rock. It was pretty interesting. The vocals were interesting, uh, but I enjoyed it. It was like a forty-minute album. It's pretty short, um, and the band's called Moontooth. The album's called Crux. So, if anybody's watching and wants to check it out, I encourage them to, especially if you're a guitar player, because there are some pretty cool parts in there. Um, but yeah, what did you did you listen to any more of it or no? I listened to I think the first two or three songs um, when you sent it to me, and then started doing something else. Yeah. It was super unique. I know we kind of discussed it, but yeah, 
um the very first part of it i didn't really dig the guy's voice the vocals of it Mm -hmm. um but then as it like kept kind of like driving along yeah and then like it just got more obscure it's it's a pretty energetic album yeah and then like like i remember i was talking i was like listening to it and then all of a sudden trumpets come in and you're just like i'm not sure where this album is going but um by the end of like the first song or halfway through the second song i kind of forgot that i didn't like the guy's voice because i was just overtaken (laughs) by everything else um because i've never been like a huge fan like you get these sort of like i don't know like these metal albums or um what was that band uh dragon force dragon force yes um that's sort of like guitar like some drumming going on that i'm that with that band yeah it's like because you have like these really high like uh super high like um what's the metal term sub sub metal term i'm looking for i don't know it's like fantasy metal like yeah but that that's exactly what it like made me think of is like that sort of this dude's got long hair like and just like rages to dungeons and dragons and just like (laughs) And like, I don't know, like, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love Dungeons and Dragons. I've played it before. It's fantastic. You should all try it. Um, I've never played it, but I, I, would, I wouldn't be opposed to playing it. If you have anyway. a, a good dungeon master, it is a super fun time. I feel like um, you would be a good dungeon master. Maybe. If I have a couple beers, maybe. <laughs> I feel like you would be a really good dungeon master, but anyways. Okay. Uh, another that's another show uh but yeah so you you were intrigued you liked it what you heard yes and i um i really just forgot to go back to it but i do intend to moon tooth here write it down yeah um no yeah so i i intend to go through that that list on rolling stone a little bit more uh and whatever other lists are out there because I haven't really listened to a lot of new albums, you know. Uh, I don't even know. I can't even think of like the last time I was like, "Oh, this band is releasing an album," and kind of jumped on it. I mean, the Alkaline Trio one I listened to that was like two years ago, and then there was the Kings of Leon album that came out probably like three or four years ago that I listened to. But like, yeah. But that's the thing, is like I don't wanna only get excited about new music from bands that have been Yeah, that you already know. Yeah, and like because I, I can't remember if even I had started recording before, but we were talking about like what makes music like why does it move you so much like when you're younger in those formative years as opposed to like when you're older and like you just don't care as much. Well, like, I mean, I definitely think the biggest thing is like it's your developing brain and developing life, obviously. And, yeah. You know, everything is kind of constantly changing around you. Not that it doesn't when you're older, but uh, you know, you have uh, you kind of have this wide open thought of like you know the whole world is in front of me, my whole life is ahead of me, and there's just these songs and these bands or these artists, whatever you listen to depends, get attached to those moments in your life. 
and mm-hmm. just kind of dig in. And then that becomes, you know, whatever that becomes what you dive into. You dive into that band because of this moment and like it struck a chord with you or those lyrics struck a chord with you at that time for that reason. Not to say that it can't happen when you're older, but it's just more so I think, you know, uh, there's probably more, maybe more emotional attachment in those younger years to songs and and artists as opposed, you know, and maybe that's wrong too. I don't, it's a tough question to answer, but I just think it's, and, and probably another part of it too, is there's probably more going on in your life when you're older, you know? Yeah. Like you have more, you know, pressing shit to deal with, uh, than just care about the latest Beyonce album. I want to pay my bills. you know, than just, um, like connecting with this band, you know? Yeah. So I would think that's definitely a part of it, but, um, well, plus like, I think when you get more into your adult years, like some of the things that bands sing about, um, like, you know, it's, it's like, I don't want to say like mopey, like it's supposed to be emotional. Like it's the point of music. But like sometimes you're like, all right, this is a little uh, cheesy for a 35 year old man to be, <laughs> you know, just really and kind of moping around about something. There's definitely songs, you know, that that happens with, and yeah, you know. But if it and it's funny because it's a if it's a band you love that that has one of those, you'll you'll find a way to justify it. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. You know, like, like no, 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 no. You shut up over there. This song is awesome. Yeah, so. it's like funny because like now I'm getting to that age where like all my favorite bands are writing songs about like at least like every band I know has like one song about like their kids, and it's like so. I mean, obviously, as as long as a band can adapt to like, and, and the, I mean my my bar for like liking music has always been relatively low as long as it's honest like i mean and that's really what it comes down to oh, like, i would agree i would agree with that statement and and who are we to judge what if the other if the person on the, the recording the song is being honest or not yeah Obviously, you, you generally have a feeling or you get a sense of whether it is or it isn't yeah but <laughs> my bar for liking music is generally pretty low <laughs> There's got to be like a level of integrity to it. Like, I don't know. The worst is when you find out a band is like one of your favorite songs or whatever. And then you're like, oh yeah, that was actually just like a fictional story. I was just writing a a theoretical situation (laughs) where you think it's actually like a true story that happened. And then it was just, no. I mean, you know, at least you still have a connection to it in some capacity. Like that's obviously important. (laughs) Oh, 100%. But, you know, like look at it, like we just talked about a whole album that was based on fictional nothingness. Yeah, like, you know, Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties album or whatever the two albums. Well, and have you listened to the new Brian Fallon album? Not that I'm aware of. No, so I probably heard songs off of it, but no. It's it's a pretty short listen. I think just as a fan, like you should take a listen to it. Um, but it's. It's like 30 for those minutes. of you who are unaware, Brian Fallon is the lead singer of the Gaslighting Them, or technically former lead singer because they don't really yeah. play anymore. Yeah. He's a yeah. band that Steve and I have loved for a long time. And Matt That's- Levy, if he's out there. Huh? So Matt Levy, 
shout out if he will maybe probably listen to this. <laughs> Matt Lovey will probably be our first person that watches the show. So, so Comment. Thanks. Hey, you, I, hope he is, I hope he is the first person that watches the show. He'll probably he's, be our first guest too. He's, he's like my immediate go-to guy when like Brian Fallon's coming to town. <laughs> it's something out. Or does anything. Yeah, like, yo, man. But, like, um, so kind of going back to that, like, fictionalized sort of thing. So there's only, like, eight tracks on the album, but, like, the third track, it's a song called Vincent. And he writes it from this, like, girl's perspective about, like, I think it's supposed to be sort of, like, an abusive relationship. Uh, but, so, again, it, what's up? You said, that sounds fun. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's, like, a girl from, like, West Texas or something that, like, um, you know, I think she's in this sort of abusive relationship and like, it's the little sort of like lyrical details in the song that really make it. But again, you know, obviously that's not something that is a, I think true, um, or based on the true story B definitely isn't his experience. <laughs> um, but still it, like has a deep impact and like it's saying with a level of care that like obviously whatever story this is is something that it's a i don't know something he cares about <laughs> yeah or that struck a chord with him and then hopefully resonates with the people obviously listening yeah uh, yeah no i haven't listened to the album yet um but i've got so far at least because i feel like it's probably time to start wrapping things up <laughs> Because you know that we could go for another, like, three hours. Right? Oh, probably. Last time it was, like, five. Uh, so, I've, so I've written down. I will say, before we jump off, um, the, was it was Joey Bonamassa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guitar solo. Um, the guitar battle between, I think it's, like, Eric Giles and Joe Bonamassa. Yes. Um, <laughs> Let me make sure I have Eric's name right, because I don't want to. I get that wrong. He's going to listen to this. He's going to come. Come get you. Uh, I'm so glad that whoever filmed that decided to film that. It's Eric Gales, not Giles. So I oh. did have it wrong. So I'm glad I looked it up. It's Eric Gales, G-A-L-E-S, and Joe Bonamassa. But yes. The A, the A is silent. <laughs> but go on. Um, but no, it was one of those things where like, it, without really like watching the video, you can't really explain it. Um, I can explain it. It's two really good blues guitarists throwing down heavily at each other and taking solos back and forth. And it's pretty dirty blues. Like it's awesome. So yeah. if you're a fan of guitar playing in any fashion, whether you play or don't play or are a fan of live music, it's two guys throwing down at each other back and forth. And it's, it's one of the better ones I've ever seen, but go on. Yeah. I gave that, it just, I told Steve to watch that last time we had talked, I said, check it out. So. Yeah. And I still haven't watched the guitar teacher reacts. Video oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you watch the video itself, that's all that matters. Yeah. It's just a lot of like, no. but what did you think? What it was like as you watched it? based on the little I know of how to play guitar is that that would take me like another <laughs> 75 years to get to that level. 
of like practicing every day. I've been playing for now is roughly like 21 years and I'm not at that level. So yeah. Don't feel yeah. But no, it's just, it's not really much to say about it other than it's like face meltingly good. Yeah. So. It's worth a watch. So if you've never seen it, it's totally worth a watch. And uh, like, if we put this out on YouTube or whatever, we can put a link in it, you know, for, we can put links for a lot of the stuff that we talked about. Like and subscribe. <laughs> I, I'm just here for the hangs, man. Um, but so I've written down for things for me to do over the next like week or whenever we do this again, game of Thrones guitar, uh, the San Luis by Gregory Allen Isaacoff car seat headrest. Uh, stuff which there's like three songs you mentioned the david comes to life stuff and then the brian fallon stuff and uh and i wrote down trip hop too but we'll, we talk about that like you can give me some stuff yeah uh, no i'll probably send you something else after this too with more actually like thought behind it uh, as but, to like yeah i'm trying to think if there's anything you know i would say listen to the rest of the moon the moon tooth album mm-hmm. um if you've never listened to like joy by fish, like the full album, I would say, listen to that, but you've probably heard most of those songs. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I listened to this week that maybe, uh, I don't think so. I don't know if I have a lot for you to do this week. <laughs> well, I know I still got to finish the sound city. Oh, the Sound uh, City documentary, yeah. Yeah, which I was very intrigued by the first. Well, that's awesome minutes. that we, we'll be able to talk about that next next week. But yeah, if anybody hasn't seen it, so uh, tell them a little bit about what Sound City is and because and, it's more fresh in your mind than it will be in mine. <laughs> um, so based on the 40 minutes I've seen so far, it is a recording it's a, studio. It's a documentary. It is a documentary directed by Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. Um, and it is a sort of chronicle of the Sound City recording studio that I think was in Los Angeles in the Valley. Um, but it is this place of like, you know, debauchery and just sort of like, it's this hole in the wall studio that is known for churning out some of the like greatest albums of all time. And it just kind of goes through based on what I kind of know, like why it's so special, why the sound is so great, um, how it got its origins. And I'm only up to like the 1970s or 80s. I think it just started. Um, it was very interesting to kind of see everything that goes into the recording process. And it's why a really, it's, yeah, it's a really cool documentary to check out for sure. Well, it's not only that, but it's just like the sort of, mythical like level that's in the system itself yeah you know it's just like a recording studio it's just a room you know it's like put a put a mixer in a a room and then instruments on the other side like but some studios have much more like history and well and they talk they talk in in it too you get to you know they talk about the, the the soundboard itself Oh, yeah. the Ru- the Rupert Neve. Yeah, whatever it's called. The, the Neve controller. There were, like, there were only like four of them made, right? Yeah, and like when they kind of get into 
thing about Sound City is they had this exceptionally unique board mm. that they were recording off of. And most of the bands seem to credit a lot of the sound and everything they got from that board. Well, I mean, I guess we could do a part one of it, but like really kind of what they talk about is like, like Rick Rubin is on there and he's talking about like when you are testing out different studios for what you want to see, like you can plug in a guitar basically at any studio and like you can get the sound you want out of it, but it's all about the drums. And they said there's like this center point in the yeah. room. Yeah, I remember it was that. Like, and there's enough decay in the room and it's just like the perfect level so that the, you know, the fullness of the drum sound comes out and then the individual miking of each head on there that goes back to that Neve controller is something that's so unique. And the guy was saying like, um, back when he bought that, he's like, he spent $76,000 on it. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I bought a house for 36,000 back yeah. then. Like, yeah. So for the cost, well, he's like, based on, I'll say this, based on the records that came out of that studio, it was worth $76,000. Yeah. And he basically, he's kind of calling One it. One of those like, records was worth the $76,000 that came that, that he paid for that. Yeah. But what's funny is like, like, what was it? Fleetwood Mac, um, REO Speedwagon, like all these bands that came through there, like they didn't really pay off until Rick Springfield came in. Yeah. And he put down Jesse's girl. Yeah. So that to me was just like, you know, obviously it was like Fleetwood Mac before, I think it was before rumors came out. Um, but like Tom Petty came in there, but like none of these, like the thing that like people forget is like Springsteen, like when he put out Born to Run and Darkness on the Edge of Town and stuff, like those are albums that are like the, the best of his work. But, like, he didn't make any money off that shit. It wasn't until, like, the 80s when he put out, like, Born in the USA. Or Born in the USA, yeah. And, like, Dancing in the Dark and stuff. Like, that was the stuff that he actually, like, really made the money on. Mm -hmm. It's just funny, like, they, like, these super famous albums and classic songs now, at the time, didn't really pay off until fucking Rick Springfield comes in with Jesse's Girl. And like that's what like launched them, and that's kind of where I cut off. Yeah. Um, so I got to start back up. And I, might, I might have to go back and watch it again. Um, obviously, with still being in like pseudo lockdown quarantine, there's not a whole lot else going on. I was watching the Robert Johnson documentary again that's on Netflix, which if you've never, I don't know if I've talked to you about that one, but it's basically about you know Robert Johnson supposedly sold sold the devil, all that stuff. So it, it's kind of about the history of Robert Johnson's life. And the Mississippi Delta, like, blues. Um, But you get a lot of, uh, like, Southern historians that have, like, you know, and they talk to Robert Johnson's grandson, Robert. There's video of Robert Johnson's, one of Robert Johnson's sons in there. Um, But it's really interesting to hear kind of basically, because, like, if you're not, if you're watching this and you're not familiar with who Robert Johnson is, but... Basically everything you understand as like rock and blues guitar today and probably pretty much everything you've heard from the Rolling Stones is all based on the stuff that Robert Johnson popularized, you know, in his very young years of recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the document, they talk about how they only have, Robert Johnson only recorded 29 songs, I think it was, but literally like 
you know, pretty much everybody in that documentary will tell you that anything you hear from basically the Rolling Stones on is all stems from what Robert Johnson learned from, you know, one other guy that he used to play with. So, Robert Johnson. Yeah. You know, like the song Crossroads by Eric Clapton. I went down to the crossroads, got down on my knees. Oh, you mean that, by Bone, Bone Thugs? That yes, one? by Bone Thugs. Okay. But that song is, you know, that stuff is about Robert Johnson. But yeah, uh, it's on Netflix right now. It's called, I was watching it earlier. Um, let me. Let me Devil at the Crossroads. Is Devil the name. at the Crossroads. Devil at the Crossroads. But uh, yeah, definitely worth a watch, uh, especially if you're a blues fan. So uh, I would say that's that can be uh, finishing the Sound City documentary and checking out Devil at the Crossroads can be your homework assignments for this week. And if I send you, uh, or if I think of it, and the, the Moontooth album, but. Yeah, send me uh, some albums. Those are easier to listen to and do other things, too. Yes, I understand. But, uh, you know, I'm just saying uh, you'll have seven to ten days to, to watch these things. So you should be able to find the time. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I've got my stuff written down. So we'll kind of uh, hopefully – if you watched this, you enjoyed it. And uh, we're going to do some more, some more stuff like this. We'll see where things go. But <laughs> we're just two friends that like talking music and talking about stuff that's, you know, intriguing to us musically or hitting us hard musically. So uh, if you enjoyed it, awesome. Thanks for watching. And uh, that's going to do it for the first episode of whatever we're going to call this show as we move forward. So um, yeah, dude, thanks for doing it with me. I had fun. Yeah, definitely, man. <laughs> All right. Well, that's <laughs> it. Thanks for watching, everybody. All right. Later. Later, dude.